0: get there. We have to talk about <laughs> insults, insults everyone should know. Like what oh, the man, heck so is that? Like man. where did that come from? Like where is that in this whole am I at least chronologically? <laughs> more or less,
1: more or less. no I wrote two books for quirk books, or I really compiled or edited two books for quirk books. Right. One is called Insults Every Man Should Know, which also got me on the radio and yelled at <laughs> I did I'll tell you about. But um what happened was that a guy named Steven Seagal not the actor, not the Akiroka, uh, who worked for not Weird Tales. Russian, not the
0: Russian of... agent. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not the cop from Arizona, wherever he's living now, where he's on his reality show. Had worked for Weird Tales in World Wild Press and then had moved on after Weird Tales was either shut down or folded. Something crazy happened with it. That, that magazine's been bouncing around on and off for 85 years. And he got a job at Quirk Books. And he hired a lot of people from the science fiction world to write different books.
0: Hmm.
1: So... Uh, like I think Nora Jemison had a, had a brief book with him about like geek wisdom. I think Catherine Valente wrote a novel. Um, Quirk is famous for the uh, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. But they also do a lot of like uh, small gift books like books about alcohol, like you know cocktail recipes and uh, funny little gift books and joke books. And they had a series called Every Man Should Know. And they got around to insults. And the first thing, the first person Stephen Seagal thinks of is me
0: i can definitely do this and so how did you comp- how did you compile it i mean did you just make the stuff up did you find Did you go to like the devil's did dictionary did you read my book did you
1: read insults every mention no it's mostly i, 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 did, not. Insults I did not throughout
0: history okay
1: it is mostly famous insults throughout history with a little bit of flavor text about uh, the nature of insults like i talk about seneca and his you know advice against uh, advice for people who are insulted about not how to feel how to not feel insulted um we talk about what kind of insults to use on what occasions things like that and uh basically it was a very short book it's a, it's a small gift book the size of a, of a tel- telephone these days so it's the kind of thing you throw in a, a stocking or you give a kid when he turns 18 like, here you go now you're a man you're gonna do this like a little gag book and so it was seven chapters of three thousand words each and every sunday night i'd come home from my martial arts class and take a shower and say i'm writing one chapter and wrote 3,000 words, or, you know, mostly cut and paste, but also by, you know, doing Google searches and looking at other books, and correcting other books, for example, then Romeo and Juliet, uh, Juliet's maid says of Juliet's first suitor, he's a man of wax, and a lot of insult books say this is an insult, but it's not an insult, it's a compliment, mm-hmm. so I was able to, like, fix other insult books by explaining, no, it means he has a pale skin, he's a, he's a noble, and he looks like a not like a, like a wax statue, but certainly like a, like a work of art where you, you, you cast things in wax before you cast a statue and stuff like that. So it was a compliment that people don't understand was an insult or, or misunderstood as an insult. And in fact, uh, the copy editors at QuickBooks said, oh, this is the best book we ever worked on. And it's all factually accurate. Not bad for a $10 joke book. And it was a work for hire book. So that just means I have no extra money. I just get um, the flat fee, which makes sense because it was their idea Oh. So they came to me with the idea. They came to me with a table of conscience, so you want, you know, and so it's about this, and so it's about that. So they even had it was really just for me to fill out and do the research on and do the flavor text. And it is actually my best-selling book. It's been on like you know, seven or eight.
0: And you and you're not getting any royalties because yeah. they just paid you a flat fee at the beginning.
1: No, oh, but I got three thousand bucks and for not a lot of work, seven Sunday evenings. And you know, I paid off a credit card with it. Then they came back and said, Oh, we want you to do quotes every man should know. And you did sell well, that's give you four thousand bucks. And here's, again, here's the table of contents. And at the end, they said, oh, we forgot to have quotes about women. I'll write it, says the editor, but it's still under my name. So you know, I didn't even write the whole book. And 4000 bucks paid for my trip to Scotland, yep. you know, my little honeymoon. So that was nice, too. And everyone does that kind of thing. You'll find uh, you know, Martin Amos, the very famous uh, British the Son of the Amos. His first book was about video games, like how to beat asteroids, you know, arcade games from the early 80s.
0: Oh, and wow. Neil Gaiman's
1: first book was something like, like, you know, interviewing uh, Douglas Adams or like a book about Duran Duran. Everyone does these little books here and there. Or I don't know if you've seen uh, Nightmare Nightmare Alley? Yeah, I did. I saw it last night. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a novel first, of course, by a guy named Gresham. And he had a crack up after that, the usual, I'm rich. I'm going to drink myself to happiness and or not happiness. <coughs> And he never wrote another novel but he wrote other books he wrote, he wrote like a little kid's book about Houdini, and uh, like, a, like a little biography and a, a kid's book to pranks and jokes and tricks and a lot of uh, short stories and crime and science fiction pulp magazines but he never really wrote another novel but everyone like i was saying in the 20th century that's what you did you have these little projects you did the pot boilers keep the pots boiling on the stove and then you worked on your real stuff in some other time so insults and quotes were uh, little pot boilers uh, made a lot of money for Quirk books, Made a made a few books for me with very little effort, and that's the kind of thing a writer can do if you are available and around and don't have a lot of uh, preciousness about the skill.
0: All right, let's let's talk about some of your other books a little mm-hmm. bit later. Let's talk about your current book, the Second Shooter, because uh, mm-hmm. you're obviously itching itching to talk about it. So let's. I itching to talk. What's about the premise about it. behind this? Like, how how did this actually? Let me, let me see how thick that thing is. You don't write, you don't tend to write, that's, well, a, that's the thickest, aside from uh, um, the, you know, I am, It is I a very thick Providence. book, but. It is a that, thick that, book. Hang oh, on, sorry. I think that's the thickest book I've ever seen. It is a book, but it's laid out
1: to, to make it thicker than
0: it should be. Okay,
1: all right. So like every, every chapter begins on the recto, which is the right page. And I think there's some blank versos and that kind of thing, but it's a little on the longer side. I think it's just south of eighty thousand words,
0: which okay. is long for me. Yeah, there, you're uh, like forty to sixty. 000. Fifty,
1: 60, 000 words. Yeah, which is not a, which is not usual for science fiction. Right, science fiction tends to want eighty thousand words. And they want series characters. They want slashable characters, so fans can write about them having sex, even if they don't have sex in the book. And they want uh, or hope punk, you know that kind of thing. <laughs> You should have some screedcore on here, and then you Let's let's talk about <laughs> you book first,
0: but uh, <laughs> like, you got so to explain to me. Yeah, because because you're you're sardonic or and and everyone needs to know that, right? Yeah. You're, you're you're sardonic. But we'll we we'll, So, what's the premise behind this book?
1: The premise is of a writer who is writing a book called Rumors of a Second Shooter. And what he's doing is going around the country interviewing people who have survived mass shooting events, like a school shooting, a church shooting, um, mm-hmm. other things. And as you know, and as you see in the newspaper and wire all the time, there's almost always reports of multiple shooters. And very rarely are there multiple shooters. There been sometimes, like in San Bernardino, there were two shooters. Right. Uh, Columbine, of course, had two shooters. A couple of times people team up, but usually it's a solo person. And we all know the second shooter is really um, just a matter of echoes the fog and night of what's yeah, called like war, so people, right? Yeah. And of course, uh, the cops show up and also start shooting. So you hear shooting from different directions. So people get confused. And people might make confused, like you know, people running away or the news media for shooters because they're doing this with the camera, that kind of thing. But in this case, the second shooters appear to be real. And there appears to be a great conspiracy where the main character's own work is being erased as he types it. And he starts getting followed around by uh, Jones. And he of course meets also a uh, talk radio host with a strong conspiratorial alt-right bent who of course calls all of these false flags and everything that ever went wrong is a false flag. So everything's great. (laughs) But he's also appealing to this writer saying, hey, we should be friends. Let's be pals. Let's just have a like a a make it up feud. Well, is also of course a right wing, uh, super right wing crazy. Like even worse than Alex Jones. Not not like a Joe Rogan type, like really kind of. Well, Joe, like, Joe
0: Rogan's Joe, Joe Rogan's like, I would say he's progressive with conservative characteristics. I would say he's just dumb.
1: <laughs> he's just like, sure, I've got a guest. Oh, that sounds good. Next guest says the opposite thing. Oh, that sounds interesting. Wow, oh, wow. So if his booking agent put in like you know fucking uh, Bernie Sanders and Noam Chomsky all the time, he'd be like, yeah, I like it. I like anarchist communism. We should definitely destroy capitalism. Sounds great. Yeah, he's pr- so yeah. He's just basically Oprah for dudes. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. You want to drink coffee with butter in it? Yeah, it's great. Look at my muscles. Don't vaccinate. Oh, definitely vaccinate. You know, that's why he's All like, right. like oh, I, want right, I
0: want, Trump. Right. Focus, focus,
1: focus. Yes. Yeah. Second shooter. Yeah. Second, shooter. So second shooter. That's what he is for hours and hours. Uh, and then, as it turns out, it takes, then it takes a supernatural turn.
0: Mm.
1: So it's really like a metaphysical thriller. And part of why it's a medical physical thriller is because I started writing in 2016 and- Yeah, and then I, you probably
0: had to pull it after, yeah.
1: Well, there were many shooting events that, that, that spoiled many in editorial meeting because people get sensitive. But I finally uh, sold it based on the first 20,000 words in a synopsis in early 2020. Uh, but in the interim, of course, we had uh, Trump's election and uh, conspiracy theories like QAnon and Pizzagate and the return of JFK Jr. And five uh, G vaccines and uh, the ghost of uh, Hugo Chavez controlling uh, voting <laughs> machines via Italian satellites. So it wasn't; it was no longer a satire. It was kind of a realist novel. So in order to like make it weirder than reality, I had to change the third act quite a bit.
0: And then oh, okay, so when you said you had to change the third act, in in what way, without revealing too much of the book? People, you know, people obviously need to. To buy it.
1: So there's a uh, anarcho Marxist current from the 1960s called Situationism, which looked at hmm. not the working class, but more um, about the imaginary world we live in, the world of the spectacle, where the news media, our culture tells us certain things are true or confuses shit out of us purposefully so we don't know it is true. And of course, this is happening now to us all the time. The spectacle is a real thing. And it's very useful, it's not It's not the end-all be-all, it's not the replacement for actual organizing or uh, mass movements or that kind of thing, but it certainly tells us a lot about how the mediated world works. And this is a media experience. Like school shootings are real, mass shootings are real, but they're also heavily mediated, they're a mediated narrative. And right. so as it turns out, the uh, situation is magic. Certain things can happen. Situation was always about slogans and, and uh, Kind of surreal juxtapositions of things, and I made
0: them actual magic spells. Okay, so somebody have that too. So contrary to popular opinion, which is wrong, yeah. uh, which is, <laughs> uh, I think people are, are defi- some people are calling it sci- a science fiction book, but it's not. It's
1: a. I would call it. I would call it a fantasy novel or a metaphysical uh, thriller. Um, what you're alluding to, out there in YouTube land, is that the second shooter is on the Locust Magazine recommended reading list for this year under the science fiction novel uh, category. And for those who don't know, which is probably all seven of you want tuning in, is <laughs> the Locust Magazine recommended reading list is the ballot for the Locust Award. So you, if you have 15 minutes to spend digging through all this stuff, you can actually vote for this book after you read it, of course, because you don't want to just read it because I'm telling you to. <clears throat> And yeah, people have talked about, yeah, I mean, there are science fiction elements in their self-driving cars, their drones, there's invisibility cloaks, but they're the, the Day After Tomorrow style science fiction. Like the, like techno thrillers have technology that's not real, but they're not really science fiction. A Tom Clancy novel with an orbital suborbital platform isn't really science fiction. Right. It has kind of elements of it, but I, so this is more of a metaphysical, fantastical
0: thriller than a science fiction novel, I'd say. So. Uh, and how would you, like, what, what's the closest comp to that? book like if, if somebody is familiar with uh you know other authors what you know a what's the closest in either writing style or subject matter if they like something like, like us uh, what, what would it be and, and, and why
1: michael marshall smith's uh strumming okay which is another oh, yeah. thriller um i want to be a total ass all about it probably uh, infinite jest by David Foster Wallace. Not because it's overwritten, it has a lot of things, but it's about a mediated world and about uh, the influence of media. And it has satirical elements. And uh, the TV show Fringe. Mm -hmm. And to a certain extent the TV show, The Mm X-Files. Surely I actually prefer Fringe to The X-Files, so I'd say
0: Fringe is definitely where I'm at. Yeah, uh, Fringe is more- more, Yeah. yeah, Like they they at least try to have a like hard science, not hard science, but a a science fiction, like a science, Description behind some of these things. Yes, yeah. um, and yeah, there's more and of a, the characters
1: are kind of weirder and more crazy, and mm-hmm. uh, they find themselves in the center of things, even though they should be on the fringe
0: of things. John, that's right, that's right. I'm, I'm, a, little <laughs> <Yeah. slow. laughs> I'm a little slow. <laughs> Is it late for you? Is it bedtime? <laughs> it's only eight thirty. I'm just not. I'm just not. I'm not firing all cylinders right now, Nick um, Okay, so where can they find it? If they want to buy it,
1: not Barnes and Noble. Oh, we yeah, have not that's there. Right. It turns out that's right. Let me tell you about there? friggin' COVID. What happened is this: so um, two things happened. One, of course, is COVID, which we all know about, has caused a lot of supply chain supply chain problems from paper. Who's gotten down the trees? Who's making pulp? Uh, sick people. How's it going? You know, this stuff is printed in Denmark. How's it get from Denmark to America? On a boat. Is the boat on time? No, the boat's not on time. Where are the boxes? We don't know where the boxes are. Hey, Siren and Schuster, is it there yet? Maybe it is. The guy who looks at things are there on the loading dock isn't here. So, so the, uh, the release date slipped twice, which happens to a lot of books you know, in this past autumn, because right. Omicron was so virulent. and Luckily, it has not killed very many people compared to the number of people who have gotten it. But it's certainly, you know, you don't want to be at work with this thing because you can give everyone you meet is going to get it. And that one person who's old or has a problem or is very unlucky is going to have a a strong, strong problem. So these things happen. At the same time, Barnes & Noble has new management. Um, But the first time, it's not run by the Oregio brothers. It's run by the guy who runs Waterstone. Yeah. Who, uh, one, is not really a fan of science fiction. But more importantly, the science fiction buyer for a long time is this guy named Bill Kellan who was laid off and not replaced. He was replaced by an algorithm. And so Barnes & Noble came up with, bing, 45 copies of do, all for BNN web orders, which ironically enough, even though I didn't get my books till December, and nobody can find the book till December, my friend Paul, uh, famous friend of Paul Tremblay, got his book on time. Because the, somehow the one little box came from Denmark and went right to barnesandnoble.com. So the people who bought it there, you know, got it way before anybody else did,
0: but if you go to a Bunch & Noble store, you're not going to get it. Yeah, you're being highly sarcastic. I'm, I'm, i assuming because no, this is all true.
1: I'm annoyed. No, I'm not sarcastic. This is all. This is exactly what happened.
0: Oh, so they didn't prioritize Paul Tremblay because he had like, you know, sells a ton of books, et cetera.
1: No, no, he just pre-ordered it. They don't know that the guy who's running BarnesNoble.com has no idea who Paul Tremblay or anybody is. No. So I'm there going, Oh my god, my book is there. I'm on Twitter going, Oh, please, you gotta peek ordering my book. It's not anywhere. Then the, the three o'clock, I get tagged in a tweet. It's like, and Paul's there like, hey, I got
0: next book today. Oh, he got your book. I thought he got his book. I'm like, what? <laughs> no, I got no, he, got, he
1: bought a copy of my book. Isn't that nice of him? It should all, be, okay. should all be nice, like Paul Trembley, But he was the first one in America to get it. Even before I got it. My my author copies
0: that's pretty random
1: oh, you're not going can get a bronze noble you can get it of course uh via the evil empire who even they even amazon had to go through a book dis, uh book dispository uk which is of course owned by amazon so the first handful of the books that were sold via amazon were from were actual secret uk imports because they couldn't get their books on time either so that, well, that's how messed up the supply chain was and even amazon couldn't get the books on time your local independent bookstore will get it. Bookshop.org and get it. You can get it from me signed at BooksInc.net. We'll put a link at the bottom of this. I'll send it to you after. And I go there once or twice a week, and I'm actually the bestseller in that store. That helps. It? it helps. It helps. It helps yeah. people sometimes. It helps. Yeah, it helps. I've worked in a bookstore, and uh, you get the ebook. I recommend drive-through fiction. That's T-H-R-U fiction. Mm -hmm. which mostly does role-playing games and things like that, but they have a fiction section and Solaris, the publisher, also is heavily involved in like Warhammer and like other role-playing game stuff. So a lot of their books are carried on that. And that's good because you can get for the same price on Amazon, the EPUB, the Kindle, both files, and they're yours. It's not the ARMA, it's not a license, it's not going to vanish one day. Those are your files that you can do whatever you want with. So it's a much better deal for
0: the same price. Outstanding. Yeah, well, put, let's uh, let, let's talk about some of your um, other books, but let's do it from the framework of your influences. Sure. Okay, so so there's definitely well, correct me if I if I go too far, Nick. There's <laughs> definitely right. some Lovecraft.
1: Yeah, um, yeah.
0: <laughs> there's 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 in in at least one book there's kind of a beat you know uh, beatnik influence. Yeah. yeah. Um, there is kind of the, um, well, I'll, I'll let you, I'll, I'll let you kind of continue the thread. So let's why H.P. Lovecraft. Some people are going to say he's got incredibly purple prose and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, writes a little bit of a Baroque style. Uh, but, but I think, I, I think if I'm mis- misinterpreting it, you, you know, you, you enjoy his writing for, for, for certain reasons. And then there's, you know, there's other, there's other, you know, there's things that are a little bit, you know, that are irascible in the writing that. You know, like any human being that, that lived in the early uh, 20th century, they're going to have some, some 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 views that you know have changed since then. Oh, you mean his
1: racism? Well, he yeah. was racist even for then. Even for then, people were like, oh, that guy's racist. So it was like <laughs> he was, he was, the, he was guy of a time. <laughs> even his friends were like, what the hell? You know, his friends like, what's wrong with you? You married a Jewish lady. He's like, well, she is all right, but the other Jews, oh my god. So everybody knew even then he was racist. Not a surprise. Uh,
0: yeah,
1: so but why like look?: Well, I, it's very mercenary in the way. My first novel is Move Underground, which, met, which is Jack Kerouac, Neil Cassidy, yep. and William S. Burroughs meeting a Lovecraftian universe. And it was very mercenary, although it didn't work out for me. I was at a bookstore. I saw on the bargain shelf a copy of a book collecting Kerouac's letters. And, oh, wow, Kerouac's letters. They even want to read his letters, much less his books. Letters that people wrote to him. That's, that he must be really uh, a big deal. And I noticed that Lovecraft also had collections of his letters. Like, oh, Lovecraft, too. Like, well, mm-hmm. if they're going to read his letters, what if I put them together Then all the Lovecraftians and all the Beat fans will want to read this book? That's not the case. In fact, the Venn diagram of, uh, i like that, I guess, people who love the Lovecraft and the Beats read it.
0: I, I should have, like, a little graphic that, like, floats up on That's the screen. You can do for. that yeah.
1: <laughs> so the very thin sliver who, like both, really enjoyed this book. Move underground. But I will say, you know, it's it sold in Germany. It's sold to Greece. Um, it has been it was out for 10 years. I released it as Creative Commons to get some attention in the early days of ebooks, which came around to bite me in the ass when people started saying, oh, it must be a public domain book. So they're putting it up themselves on Amazon. Every two weeks I go and say, nope, that's, that's not some, that's not my book. That's somebody else stealing my book because my Creative Commons license was free to read, not free to resell. So they're violating the license um it wasn't printed for 10 years and finally fell out of print a few years ago uh after they published it oh you only sold 200 copies i'm like really because of the the book scan because i work in publishing says at least 600 copies and we all know the book scan copies you know
0: capture maybe about half the sales we're less than that right or less than half it's like it's so like so we, it, it my experience had been about 4x is like yeah. what you actually sell versus now that includes Ebooks, books and e-book things like that, that's based on one half. sample though, one sample, yeah. sample size of yeah. one, so take it with a grain of salt. But I,
1: I the book was mine anyway. I own the book outright, so it was always mine, but the print is usually around half unless it's a certain kind of book that sells really well outside of bookstores. Like if you're selling a, a book about training dogs, there's going to be a lot of pet shops. So that might be, right. you know, 5X, 6X, you might, 90% of it might be missing from BookScan. But right. anyway, we made, we made a deal, and finally, uh, uh, I was approached on via Twitter DM one day. So keep your DMs open from a guy who read the book when it first came out in 2004. This was in 2019. Saying, hey, I read your book when I was young and now I work in publishing. Can I bring your book back out? I said, of course you can. And uh, it came back out last year with a new introduction by Brian Evanson, the famous uh, literary writer, avant-garde fiction, also horror writer, and did pretty well. And so even though it was a mercenary thing, in the long term, it did kind of work out for me, because most books aren't in print for 10 years. Most books don't get reissued within 15 years by a different publisher. And I had a few editions and, you know, made a few bucks. And it's been kind of influential in that people who read it 15 years ago now work in publishing or now are writers.
0: And, you know, were kind of inspired to to try to be writers because of that book. So that's pretty good. So what, what would you say your, your other influences are? So you have a little bit of H.P. Lovecraft, the, the beatnik.
1: Yeah, Lovecraft and the beats. And, of course, the intersection William S. Burroughs was how I got into Lovecraft. I had mm-hmm. gotten a book called The Starry Wisdom. was a collection of stories and comics and poems in uh, celebration of Lovecraft. And Burroughs was in there. Uh, Michael Gira from Swans, uh, kind of a post-punk dark, dark band was in there. I liked him at the time. And that kind of trimmed me on. So, the, so underground culture. Which has embraced Lovecraft for many years. You know, R. Crumb used to do comics of Lovecraft and uh, that kind of thing. Beats, of course, underground stuff. Um, Crowley, I'm not a Crowleyist. I'm not a magician. I don't believe in that stuff. But he's a compelling figure. So I've written a book about someone who is both a Trotskyist and a Crowleyite in 1989 on Long Island. Speaking of Cold War, the beginning.
0: Yeah. So so, so for the, you know, for for the, person just kind of walking in off the street. He's talking about Al- Alistair Crowley, who was a yeah. famous occultist in the right. uh, t- early, early 20th century. 20th century right. you
1: know. Early to mid 20th century. yeah. And
0: uh, well, you no, did a lot of like, research for that too, right? You actually, there, there are people who still kind of follow the way of, I guess, there like oh, are yeah, a lot, of, there a there a lot of weirdos
1: out there who also <laughs> dumb ideas. Absolutely. Well, you I'd, know, be, car- I'd of, be careful. You never people-
0: know. <laughs> They curse you, a lot of people wake,
1: wake up every morning and their mother made them go to church and they didn't like church without getting up early every Sunday morning and having something to do. And so now they go to anti-church. And that anti-church might be the socialist party in the newspapers or it might be animal rights or it might be uh, naked mass with the Crowleyites. It might be anything. And that's just how a lot of people sort of operate in their lives.
0: Yeah, so that book Loves
1: the Law came out a few years ago. Um, and I'm interested in people like Harlan Ellison who of course was a, you know, a great essayist and uh, a columnist for newspapers and also a great science fiction writer of almost always short fiction. He wrote one not really interesting, uh, two really not really interesting novels <clears throat> and co-wrote a couple of things that were almost novels. And I'm really not interested in the novel as much. I'd much rather starve better by writing short fiction and short nonfiction.
0: And you recently sold uh, a story to Asimov's. Yeah. My second what's story. That, what's that? What's that? You know, what's the story called? And roughly what's the, What do people have to look forward to? Like when? That that called uh, Drowned in the Sun, which is
1: the uh, title of the Nirvana song that was written by an AI pretending to be Nirvana. And I actually wrote that for a contest um, oh. for like a climate change, science fiction, imagine the future contest. But I think I wasn't squeepunk enough, or Hope core or whatever it is. I, I guess I wasn't, so I did not place in the contest. But I, I made one little change. I made one character a little nicer by having her give some information at the end, instead of withholding that information at the end. Sent it off to Asimov's, and uh, they enjoyed the story very much. And it should be coming out pretty soon. It's a, a cli-fi story, you know, climate fiction story. And it's basically about an attempt to repopulate Cyprus, which, of course, in the future, when or if uh, the temperature goes high enough, is not going to have a very large population. Because it's right on the equator, it's uh, politically fraught, super hot, sunny all the time, no clouds, it's not going to be a great place to live. Right now, it's beautiful. You can go to Cyprus without getting COVID, definitely go for your vacation. But uh, when it's 19 C average, don't go, you're going to die.
0: And then you're also, I mean, you're and you're also, I mean, there's still kind of the islands still kind of split in half, right? You got the Turks somewhere one- Yeah, island. split in two thirds, two thirds and one third, yeah. Okay.
1: All right, and that's, squeak that's a
0: factor. That's a factor in the story as well.
1: Squeak And there's one Greek Cypriot and one Turkish Cypriot with different ideas about how to, about what's to blow up to get a uh, cloud cover over it, basically.
0: Okay, uh, I'm gonna kind of take a brief diversion. Great.
1: Squeak can And
0: I'm gonna take a selfie
1: of you and me. <laughs>
0: All right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know I don't even know what that's gonna be used for. I, I should I should <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> Sque- squeak or what like It's it see like I, I didn't even delve into it because it sounded more like one of those um how do I say this without <laughs> drawing a firebomb on me? <laughs> For saying absolutely nothing. <laughs> it's something <laughs> well, you going to die
1: already. You're going to be canceled. <laughs> like, so I'll, I'll just tell you what Squeak Core is. Squeak Core, and I called this in Star of Better, my book that is now out of print, Tweet, back in 2008. <laughs> Squeak Core is fiction that is heavily influenced by contemporary fan fiction discourses. That's really what it, what it boils down to. Mm-hmm. So, not the fan fiction of the old days, like Kirk and Spock in a mimeograph magazine, sold at a convention for a dollar. Who are people like, you know, vonda mcintyre came out of that diane duane came out of that a lot of people wrote fan fiction as well as writing normal science fiction and fantasy and of course this remains the case today many famous writers today got their to starting fan fiction um but there seems to be uh in the past 10 years or so and more so now even then were people who got their uh interest in writing from fan fiction in the online environment of fan fiction as opposed to the old days of fan fiction. And the online environment of fan fiction is a lot about uh, community service. Like you're writing for your friends about what they want to see. And they're writing for you and you talk about it and you also want to care for your friends and not upset them and not traumatize them. Even though fan fiction also has a lot of traumatic material involved in it, including things like, you know, a lot of uh, stories about rape, but you know, Harry Potter getting raped. By snape and things like that that's kind of an entertainment uh, for some people who enjoy fan fiction there's nothing wrong with that um, except for the writing probably right <laughs> yeah and now a lot of these people have you know branched out and are writing their own work <clears throat> and it tends to have some of that same material in it and where it focuses on um a certain kind of melodrama that is easily resolved as opposed to complexified um, characters when they do something wrong or have a bad thought are either instantly punished or are corrected by the narrative and if you don't do that there's an expectation that you the author are bad and are trying to do something bad except that now in fan fiction and you know you have a community where you know your readers and they know you and they talk all the time and you have a friendship or a parasocial friendship well publishing is a broadcast i publish a book and if it's not this one, it's in Barnes Noble. I have no idea who's buying in Barnes Noble. Or I no idea who's buying it on Amazon. And it's supposed to be a one-way relationship. You're not know, supposed to come to me Nick, and say, you know what? You really upset me when you said that uh, you didn't like Wendy's hamburgers. <laughs> I don't buy the book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so I already the- bought the book. I had to buy the book without reading it.
0: <laughs> you owe me, big buster. You know, that kind of thing. So it happens a lot. So what was and the controversy? Like, wh- why is this even a controversy? Because people in the squeak core <laughs> don't like being
1: called squeak whore. <laughs> they think they're uh... being made fun of, which is correct. <laughs> and it's unfair. Because if you're, you're gonna create a movement, where you're gonna say this kind of book is happening with this background, these antecedents. You don't need to evaluate it on, on a taxonomy level in the same way I won't say, well, you know, crime novels came out of uh, the professionalization of the police force in the late 19th century and, you know, are about uh, dealing with urbanism and, and, uh, and the authority of the state. And I'm an advocate, so crime fiction sucks. Like, that's not, that's not a way to approach anything like that. And squeak of course, sounds funny and I can't stop saying it. I bring the conversation all the time. I was at Jack in the Box before saying, oh, can I just have the people at Squeecore? <laughs> Maybe they want to know. Wow. And I wasn't. this is not, again, I'm, you, you tell people I'm sardonic, but actually I never joke and I never say anything amusing. I'm just telling you what is literally going on in my head and in my experiences. So I was actually back like in the box thinking, these guys want to know about Sweetcore. Can I work it into the conversation when I buy my hamburger? I could not, they
0: were very busy. So what's your go-to meal there? Mine's, mine's a, a jumbo a jumbo jack. Double double jack, yeah, no cheese. Yeah, yeah. I don't like it there, it's just across the street. It's convenient. Let's so open at all hours.
1: Yes, yes, yes convenient. That's what, that's what fast food is, right? It's, it's cheap and fast. It's definitely not either aesthetically or nutritionally good. No. But I had to do this thing with you,
0: so I need to eat fast. No, so it's my fault. Okay. Yeah, that, as you sure. oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. T- tell me a little bit about uh, – you, you have actually two stories, um, one in World War Weird World War III and then mm-hmm. one in Weird World War Four. Yeah. Uh, just, just very briefly, um, just you know, if you could discuss each one and 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 look, they're yeah, you know, they're 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 um, they're definitely political, which I think is which is which I think we need we need more of in terms of kind of broadening that ideological spectrum, right, and showing kind of both sorts of things. But you're you're definitely you're definitely on the on the. Uh, you know, we talk, as we discussed in the beginning, the yeah. um, anar- anarcho kind of communist side, but I, I, but I like I said, I, th- I think they're both amazing stories. But let's just. So I'm such an asshole, Sean,
1: that yeah. I forgot the name of the story in World World War, War II. I remember everything about it, but what did I, oh yeah, bad bad night at Black Rock, right? That was the name of it. Uh, yeah.
0: bad night at Black Rock. Let's play some Bleak Bleak oh, Rock. Black. I think it's Bleak Black. Rock. Black, bleak? like ah, copy editors, they made a bleak rock. <laughs> I should know too. So I, I'm, I'm, you know, you're, you don't need to be embarrassed because.
1: So as, we, as we talked about Cyprus, and I'm not Cypriot or mostly not Cypriot. I may I have some Cypriot right. long, long background. <clears throat> but Cyprus, as we were talking about, is a divided island between uh, the Greek-speaking and Turkish-speaking populations. For many, many centuries, they, they mixed together. It was only relatively recently they were split up. And there was, some, there was always some sectarian violence here and there, but never until uh, post-colonial times and uh, invasions of military governments of Greece and invasion of Turkey and everything messed things up. So this uh, first story, Bad Night at Black Rock, I, I think, takes place uh, during a, a battle or in the after of a battle where a uh, sort of a mythic Turkish figure is implicated in some violence. And the communists is captured because they were considered to be uh, in league with the Turks because they weren't hyper-nationalists. And because he doesn't believe in the supernatural, the supernatural does not, does not impact him at all. He cannot proceed. Yep. But everyone else is having a, a rough time of it being uh, eaten and things like that. So that's one story. Uh, in Weird World War Four, it's a, a science fiction story in the classic mode of a spaceship. And it is a spaceship of objectivists. Who left this Earth behind to gulch it out in space? <laughs> well, and their AI. I, that I, I, the AI. I, I like. I
0: like. I enjoyed the, uh, the not so oblique reference to uh, was it Dammershould or the pirate sorry, yeah, yeah. the pirate from from uh, the, the oh, fountainhead? Shrugged, not yeah. the fountainhead. Atlas shrugged. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I appreciated that. That was pretty good.
1: And you know, there's a certain strain of economic thought that would say that our true free market. A framework with no state interference whatsoever would be indistinguishable from full communism hmm. because you couldn't you couldn't collect capital that much without the state to help you and everything to be voluntary and comes be bottom down networking network of a cyberized economy so are they the same thing so in this case the ai uh, on the ship that controls the economy or controls the markets because everything is marketized inside this Iranian uh, mm-hmm. economy creates a second AI that's a communist AI to check its work. And uh, it does this after an event in space that, con- that convinces it that something else is going on out there in the world outside out there in the universe about the creation of uh, things that didn't previously exist without uh, without a cause. And then this is a weird World War IV, so the weirdness, the weird fiction of that comes out in the end of that story. And that's called the transformation problem. Do you know what the transformation
0: problem is? I do not, actually. Oh, wait, wait. wait. Transformation? No, I don't. You'll probably start the talking about trans- it, and, I'll, and, I'll, and I'll, I may recognize it. Maybe it's, not. Um, it's an idea that
1: uh, you know, Karl Marx has been called the labor theory of value. And so he was interested in how values are created, like use values and exchange values. But price and value are two different things. Even this this is not something that Marx did not know. He called it the transformation problem. How do you transform values into prices? So this is something that Marx economists have thought about or dealt with or or neglected or dismissed or created their own novel solutions to for a long time. And so the transformation problem um, references that and references uh, the transformations that take place in the story, both economically and on the weird fiction level. And it's a little nudge to anyone who's been paying attention to
0: uh, economic debates for the past century or so. All right. Yeah, I definitely, definitely enjoy the story. So, you know, everybody should definitely check it out. Now, I'm going to I'm going to take a quick um, mm-hmm. second. To, I want to get I want to get that story right in the first one. Okay. Sure. Um, just because I have this in front of me. Oh, do you edit like, these uh, episodes or uh, this is all going out like this? Uh, Nick. I said, I said, I don't. I haven't spent a single a single dollar. You, you, you should, you, there, you'll see, you'll see an uneven production value. You'll, you'll see some stuff. You're like, you'll be like, how the heck did he do that? Like, where did that music come from? And then, um, in every case thus far, this episode will be a be a little bit of change because I discovered on YouTube that you can you can get royalty free music. Yeah. Um, the the music that Introduces this episode and the music that the in the outro, I I made in GarageBand. Oh, nice! Yeah, literally, literally made. So, but you'll see some, you know, I don't think I'm gonna do the uh, the walk. If you if you look at some of the videos, I I, I kind of walk through the through the woods and introduce my next guest. And uh, I, I had a friend of <laughs> the UN, Robert
1: Sack, huh? Nice.
0: <laughs> yeah, I had a that friend of the, of the second shooter. <laughs> I had a friend at the UN, I asked him to like watch it. And he's just like, I'm not going to curse, but he's like, what the, what the F is this? It's like, it's like, this is like high school stuff. This is like, you're like walking, you know, I have some gimmick where it looks like it looks like you're flying to the city. And it's just like, it looks like you're doing it right before that. It looks like you're like walking to your friend's house and you're about to walk in and interview him and ask him for a sandwich. And I'm just like, <laughs> So, so again, I'm, I'm learning, I'm learning like this. Yeah, I might sure, break sure. this up into, you know, a few seconds, but let me, okay. Let me, give me a quick second to, I want to make sure I have the record right so that, uh, you know, I should know we both, you know, both of us are should be shamed that we don't have the the name of this off the top of our heads. All right. I, I I'm in the right tab. Hold on. Well, i on your 25 stories so you got to give me a break. Yeah, bleak I night. I thought we were going to talk about the second shooter, not not old stories. Oh, so we both we both had it wrong. We both had it okay. wrong. Okay. <laughs> it's it's bleak night at Bad Rock. I said oh, that's I said bad Black night, Black, night at Black at Bleak Rock, and you said I no, thought no, bad night at Black Rock. <laughs> yeah.
1: Wait, I got two well, more story titles now. Fantastic. It's actually
0: good you didn't call it like a bad night at Black Rock, because then like you know you think it's like Black Rock the the financial institution, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Um, I, I think we're going to now move on to a uh, robust discussion of and a very interesting topic, okay. and you know. So we'll 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 continue this discussion in a in the next episode.